Mothers, happy Mother's Day. And my message is not going to be directed specifically at you as moms this year because of what we're trying to get done and there's so many other things going on. But I did want to take a moment here and I want to set it in absolute contrast to what we just talked about with the men. I can recall as a teenager when the drug issue in America was very significant, my mom just worrying and uh, her saying, I would not want to be starting out on this journey of raising children now in a culture that was up for grabs. There were riots going on and there was all sorts of stuff where our, our nation was in turmoil, but drugs was the big one to my mom. Wouldn't want to be doing that now. I read an article this past week. See, there's, what I'm trying to, what, here's what I'm trying to get to. We still have all those issues. There, we're, there, our country is in as much turmoil about those issues now as we ever have been. And whether you're aware of it or not, there's a huge problem with heroin right now in America. It's making a comeback. Huh. Who knew? But there's something else that my mom's generation wasn't thinking about in terms of raising children in this day and age. And this, moms, is why what you do is so important. I read an article just this past week by a believer, a a gracious and kind believer, and a mature, uh, and it was an open letter to Miley Cyrus, who I don't follow her career but I'm re- in some of the reading I'm doing recently, I'm hearing terms I never knew before. And she at some point has referred to herself either as gender neutral or pangender, which means all things. We have all sorts of terms that are out there now about people identifying their sexuality, their sexual orientation, call it what you will. Stuff that, when my parents were raising us, unheard of. And what is it? It's confusion. It's chaos being set forth. And it is also being dealt with within our culture as you get on this bandwagon where you are wrong and you will be ostracized. So now parents are having to walk this minefield in addition to the heroin in addition, and I mean to the drug issues, in addition to the general moral decay, in addition to the, the breakdown within our political system, all these other things, and now we're throwing in alongside of it this thing that brings confusion. So moms, your task is harder. And dads as well. That's why we have something called the man cave. To remind men what it is to be men. So we have mops, mothers of preschoolers. We have women of the word to help women understand what it means to be a woman of God. Because I believe the spiritual battle about this comes down to this, friends. With all of these other identities that are being set forth, the point is not ultimately Don't forget, we're in a spiritual battle here. The point is not ultimately that people have the freedom to define for themselves their own gender orientation, 
regardless of what biology has to say. That's not the issue, friends. I honestly believe the issue, spiritually, demonically, the issue is to say, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. So you can be gender neutral, you can be pan-gender, you can be whatever you want, because ultimately it doesn't matter. And this male-female distinction, we're being told by some people, this, they call it this binary distinction, is no longer significant. I beg to differ. See, the spiritual battle is this, friends. The evil one is seeking to usurp the authority of God. And there's nothing he desires more than to destroy God's image and God's place in our life. And what does maleness and femaleness, according to Scripture, represent? They together represent the image of God. Let us make man in our image. Male and female made he them. So somehow... However God's image is known, it's known through maleness and femaleness. And I even believe because of the Trinity, I even believe because of the children that that produces. Maleness and femaleness matter. And so we minister to men that they might be men who know who God is and men who act like men. And we minister to women that they might know what a godly woman looks like and behaves like, and that the Word might be influencing each of them. So today, moms, your task is harder because there are going to be some of those young people, who they are confused. They're, they're just not sure what's going on, and they're having a culture spinning around them giving them all sorts of crazy ideas about what to do and what to become and how to deal with this and how to deal with that. And I'm not saying there aren't people with real issues. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there's a spiritual battle raging which is using this as a means of destroying what God has created and how God wants to reveal himself in our culture. And my mom was concerned about drugs. And you young moms have a whole lot more that you've got to walk your children through. You've got to help your daughters identify who they are. And dad, you've got to help your sons identify who they are. And our culture isn't helping you. So I want to pray specifically. That's why I'm asking you those other things. You pray for those, please. But specifically, I want to pray today for the moms and dads. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Father, we, um, sometimes we're just, we're just kind of amazed, stunned at how rapidly our culture is turning away from you and is turning on you. And whether willfully or in ignorance, Father, we are abandoning at breakneck pace this concept of gender. This concept of your image. And Lord, I believe it is a lie from the pit of hell that the evil one desires 
to influence us in such a way that we say your image stamped in us no longer matters. We have arrived at a higher, better place. We have arrived at a place of greater understanding, and we are sliding into darker and deeper darkness, Father. And so I ask, I ask for parents here today, Father. I ask that you will raise up men from our midst who understand who you are and who desire to honor you with their lives and to become more like Christ as a man is an expression of Christ. I pray, Father, you give us wisdom in our, in our ministry with the man cave. I thank you for the three who are here who had a vision for this ministry years ago and you continue to work in it. I pray your blessing upon tomorrow night. I pray that men being together will be encouraged about what it means to be a man, a masculine man, a strong man. And Father, I pray this morning for the moms among us, moms who bleed for their children, who worry for them, who are investing in their lives, Lord. And I pray that you will give them strength and you will give them wisdom and you'll give them understanding what it means to be women of God women who impress upon their children values and priorities and, and, a, and a worldview steeped in your word, Father. Parents in this day have so many things that would distract them from helping their kids understand your role in their lives, particularly on this issue of gender, Father. So we commit them to you. We pray that they will not be, be brought into this lie that says it doesn't matter, that we keep blurring all of these lines. And so, Father, thank you for the moms who are with us today. Thank you for how they faithfully carry out their tasks. Thank you that uh, they're investing in their children and, and they hold an influence that no one else in the world will hold upon their children just because they are their moms. I pray you grant them great wisdom and great strength in their roles in a day that is so difficult. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for allowing me to, allowing me to take that time. When we were last together in the Word, in, in Hebrews, I should say, Hebrews chapter 8, it finishes with this verse, in that, in that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, you won't be seeing scriptures coming up, okay? I'll ask you just relax, just listen, and uh, let's just enjoy, enjoy all of this through the ear gate this morning, if that's okay. Um, last week, we jumped over to Exodus chapter 25. Because we're in the four chapters in Hebrew where there's this constant distinction between the earthly tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, the, um, the temporal one, the eternal one, the high priest according to Aaron, the high priest according to Melchizedek, the, the good promises, the better promises, that which is growing old, that which is new. And we're, we're making for four chapters, there's this contrast being drawn out. And what we noted last week was, you know what, if you have no idea what that first tabernacle was like, you have no idea what we're talking about. And so last week, we tried to create a three-dimensional version of that tabernacle. And Jeff, if you would if you'd pull that up for us, hopefully I haven't hit buttons that have moved us offhand. You will, you will remember last week, we used the kids, and um, 
the kids on the perimeter here, they created a tent. We were looking for something three-dimensional last week, and I say that specifically. They were the outside of a tent. In, to, um, inside of there, you can kind of see there was a table here. There was a lampstand here. Right here, you can't make it out even, but there's a little another table that re- represents an altar of incense. Here is a veil, these kids standing across here, which breaks the outside tent into two areas. And over here is the Ark of the Covenant. And these two young boys, they were the angels who reached out over and they became the covering for the Ark. We were trying to be three-dimensional last week. That was all based on Exodus chapter 25. What I'd like to do now is take a two-dimensional view. We're just going to take an aerial view of this to grasp it. Is that okay? Just an aerial view now of what we saw before. So what we have is we, this were the kids, these were the tall kids who created, they created three walls of this, but the outside of that tabernacle, that tent. Now inside of this, we had the shorter kids and they were angels, if you will recall. Because the interior of this thing, you've got an outside surface that can handle the weather. You have an inside surface that is beautiful, just like we put aluminum siding on the outside of our house and drywall on the inside so we can paint it, Right? That's how we do it. Well, that's what they had. Okay. Now, first placed inside of once they put that tent up is the ark. And the ark is an open box, and it has a lid that is put on it. And it's that lid that has the angels that reach across the lid. They're facing one another, and God said, I will meet you right here, on right where the angels are looking, and I will meet you on the mercy seat. Also called that lid is called a mercy seat. There was a group of kids that broke this uh, broke this area into two areas. So now you have what is here. Well, this is the veil. That's what does it. I should just keep going. And then in the two areas, we have uh, uh, on this side now, we put in the showbread, and then we put in a lamp stand. This lamp lighted this area because, don't forget, it is covered. Natural light does not, you don't get a whole lot in there. And the showbread had um, 12 loaves on it representing the 12 tribes. Right here was an altar of incense. It's, it's square like that because it, it just stood about this big and about that high. And they burned incense on that. And then there was a screen to, oh, excuse me, I want to just focus on the screen here to, to close the tabernacle part. And then they built this altar over here which was where they burned their sacrifices. Then there was this laver between the altar and the tabernacle uh, proper. And then Around all of that was this large screened area to prevent anybody from being able to see in and know exactly what was going on there. And uh, so the Gentiles in particular were not allowed to uh, have access to what God was doing in that place. And uh, did I do that, Jeff? Okay. And then right over here, there is the gate. The gate is always, we'll say this, the gate is always set up to the east. Always, He didn't just look for the flattest piece of ground and decide, oh, it would orient well this way. The gate always goes to the east. Now, this is what we saw last week three-dimensionally. We're looking at it two-dimensionally now. And here's where Hebrews continues. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. That's this whole thing as this earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is on the table, which is called the sanctuary. Depending on your translations, 
and we're not going to take the time to explain why, but they may give it all sorts of different names. They're trying to figure out a way how to make a distinction between this first part and the second part. Uh, we referred to it last week as the, this area, this first area, as the holy place. Okay. And behind the second veil, if this is the gate, here's a second veil. Behind that, uh, the part of the ta- tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, the Hagia Hagion. It is the holy of holies which had, related to it now, is the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the mama. Okay, that's as close as I'm going to get to Mother's Day in this message, okay? <laughs> it had the manna, all right? That's extremely funny, but you really have to see it in order to get it in its best, okay? It had the manna in here, a couple of other things that were in there. Aaron's rod that budded in the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim, which mean it was, it was a covering, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So now we are looking at a two-dimensional version. It's beginning to make sense. If, it hasn't, if you've never seen it before, what I want you to understand, it's a very real thing. Moses was given instructions to follow the pattern in heaven of a very real thing which they took a year to build and to build it to exacting standards. And then they would take this with them and it would move with them now as they went towards the promised land. And so chapter 9 begins by reviewing these elements. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part here, this area, went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part... Here, now notice this, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Notice that before the high priest can even go in, there has to be a sacrifice on his behalf. Because the high priest entering there is a sinner like everyone else. The high priest entering into that holy of holies who's going to place blood right here on the mercy seat where God said he would meet with them between those two, er, um, those two cherubim, those angels looking over this gold cover. That guy who brings it in himself is a sinner. Himself is in need of salvation. Himself will die one day. And he has no power over sin. He personally has no power over sin or death. He can help no one. But he has a task. To bring this in, to bring the blood in once a year. Into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. Now, notice this the Holy Spirit indicating this. And here's what's critical, friends. When we see this whole arrangement, and the high priest can only once a year after, getting, after having blood shed for himself first and getting uh, ceremonially cleansed could only once a year come in here. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all, this is the holiest of all, right? This second uh, element of the tabernacle separated by that veil was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Access into here was not yet made manifest in the context of this tabernacle. 
It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until, until the time of Reformation. So now we have added to this a, a chronological uh, element to this comparison. That idea that this stood at one time, but waited for a later time when something else would happen. But during the time when this was standing, during this time, all of these services were taking place, but something was being taught by them. In fact, when it says that it was, um, let's see, that it was, let's see, uh, all was not made manifest, uh, it was symbolic. The word symbolic literally means, is what we get our word parable. It is parable. It was a parable. It was telling a story. It was telling something significant that was, that was to be an object lesson. And what is that? I've already mentioned the gate. Always, always set up to the east. Which means... The showbread was always to the north, lampstand to the south, and the ark to the west. So I don't know if, if people are, are coming up to speed yet on this. I do remember in seminary asking the question, why always to the east? And the answer that I have heard repeatedly has been, well, we want, you don't want to be heading towards the rising sun, right? Because the sun's going to rise over here. So you don't want to enter this thing looking at the rising sun so that we don't uh, eventually misplace things and begin to worship the rising sun. Well, I guess that's one explanation as they take a stab at it. To me, I, I, the Bible gives a much simpler answer. Because what is this indicating? It's indicating that the way back, into God said, I'll meet with you here, right? That the way back into the presence of God has not yet been made, has it? When were they separated from the presence of God. Where did that happen? In the Garden of Eden. And how were they separated? They were driven out the east end of the Garden of Eden. The story being told, the parable, is this. There's access back to God, but it's not complete yet. And that's why they're coming from the east and that's why it has to be set up that way every time. They're still separated from God. Their only access is ceremonially through what the high priest does. This high priest will be replaced because he will die and someone else will take his place. The high priest who in himself is effective for nothing. So a story is being told here and telling them that not yet has God's promise of salvation in that one who he promised would come prior to driving them out of the east of the garden. He said there would be one who would come who would crush the head of the serpent while receiving a wound in his heel at the same time. That hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for it. We're still waiting for that to unfold. Now, we're not waiting for it to any unfold anymore because that's what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is telling us, and we will see it, guess what? 
Access has been made into the Holy of Holies. It's our, the writer's already told us that, that Jesus made his way right into here, but never in this tabernacle, because this was earthly. And this was simply a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do. And that's what these four chapters of Hebrews are striving so significantly and so repetitively and so deeply to get us to grasp that that old system was telling us we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Until the time of the Reformation is how this particular segment ends. Until at time when things would be put right. The word Reformation, interesting word. Interesting word. How many of you, and I'm one of them, so don't be embarrassed, how many of you have, have, or presently are having some type of orthodontal work done? Okay? I just want to see hands, all right? It's pretty common in our world, right? Okay. There's a, a number of us who have or are, okay, mine got put on in eighth grade. There's a direct connection between the Reformation and that, that the Scripture talks about here, until the time of the Reformation and your dental work. It's true. Listen to the word. De-orthoseos. Setting straight is what orthoseo means. So setting straight through, if you will, or thoroughly straight until the time when things were set straight or put in order or reformed to something else. Because isn't that what they do with our teeth when they put in those braces? They move the teeth around and then you wear retainers for however much time so that the bone builds around them and they stay put. And they have reformed the pattern of our teeth. Well, the writer is saying, while this, this is the first, the earthly tabernacle, while it stood, it was telling us a story. That access was not there yet because there was nothing in these sacrifices and all that were done that could ultimately really deal with the heart of the problem and cleansing us completely. It was not, it was just a pattern, it was just a picture. It was just a parable to say, this is what God ultimately is going to do. There's going to be a sacrifice, and that blood is going to be put upon an altar made without hands. And that sacrifice, of course, we know, is the person of Jesus Christ. We know he was not afflicted with the problem of death. That's why he was partly what identified him as being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You've got to go back and look at some, listen to some older messages to know what I'm talking about. But Melchizedek was, was defined as having no beginning or no end. See, death wasn't going to be the ultimate, the ultimate um, end to Jesus Christ. Death was the beginning of his work. Most people, their work ends when they die. His began when he died. So that's Hebrews chapter 9, 
verses 1 through 10. We can understand it because last week we looked at that tabernacle. This week we've reviewed it, so now we understand a few things. We just want to make mention and then send you all home for a happy Mother's Day dinner. Okay, first of all, we've said this. The tabernacle was telling a story. It was a parable of what God was doing. It was not accomplishing it. It was simply telling the story with this pattern of this. Secondly, the story advanced with the coming of Christ. When he came, he accomplished the same type of sacrifice, although in a different place. And that's the earthly tabernacle uh, in contrast with the heavenly tabernacle. We now understand the earthly so that we can understand the heavenly. Here's a third thing that I would just like to mention, friends. The total bigger story still isn't complete. There's more to this story. This story is still being written. And the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging us to hang in and hang on. Because sometimes we don't get the story. Sometimes we don't understand the difficulties that we're going through. Sometimes it's hard to grasp what God is doing in the midst of difficult times. And the writer to the book of Hebrews is saying, the story is real. Jesus Christ has accomplished the victory, but the story's not done. And there's more that will happen yet. So my friends, can I encourage you yet again? I know I sound like a broken record, but this is what the writer to the Hebrews is speaking to. If you're at a place in your spiritual walk and you go, I don't get it, I don't understand how this relates to my life, this doesn't make sense, this isn't fair, this isn't good, whatever the negative things that are filling your thinking, whatever they are, place them aside. And draw deeper into Jesus Christ. Don't turn away. Go deeper. Don't turn away. Find out what God wants to do through these difficult times. But never abandon what he's doing. Because this is the singular act of grace, act of redemption, act of hope that is being worked out on our behalf. And there is nothing else in all of history that can benefit us and can save us as this particular story in Jesus Christ and what it means to have faith in Him. So that's for us personally. I want to say one other thing because I started out very seriously about moms and dads. I said our task isn't any easier. Moms and dads, your children need you to say rock solid, rock solid on this. Understand it. If it means you got more studying to do, if it means more time in the Word and more time praying, they need you to stand absolutely rock solid on knowing this and understanding it and its significance and what Jesus Christ did in that He came and He did make His way into there so that you can lead them into that knowledge also. And help them when the world wants to rip them away from a childhood faith in Jesus Christ. And so the world wants to say, well, that was stupid. That was dumb. Nobody of any intelligence would believe that. And they need you to say, 
here's the intelligent understanding of this entire process going on in our world. And God has revealed where truth and redemption are found. And your father and I are walking it, and we want you to walk it too, and we're praying to that end, and they need your example. Because you get away from this parable that God is redeeming the world through the work of Jesus Christ, and you step into an eternal darkness that has no hope. And your children will follow you right there. None of us want that. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy of knowing Christ. Thank you, Father, that you, are, you have made it so clear of the hope that is in him because he has, has uh, been our high priest. And we will understand that further as we continue in the text, Lord. But we're in that place where we can know who Christ is and what he's done, and I thank you for that. And I pray you'll strengthen every mom, every dad, every grandma, every grandpa here that they will, they will get hold of this truth and refuse to let it go because there's a generation behind them, Father. There's a generation that's going to struggle with things that, that we never even considered would be something we had to try and process. So give us strength, Lord, that we might pass on to those who come behind us. Thank you for each mom who is here today, Lord. May she, as we leave here, may she have a blessed day, a day when she understands indeed that she is loved and and that what she does as a mom, even sometimes it's just about changing stinky diapers and, and listening to the same stories, Lord, that that is time investing in her child. That time matters. Strengthen each mom to know the significance of what they do, Lord. And helping, helping portray your image into the lives of their children. We commit them to you. Ask your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.